Some photographers falsely believe that they should promote themselves as generalists. I can shoot everything, they say, but the truth is that clients, art buyers, and editors are more interested in people who focus on a particular type of photography and do it well. And if the photographer has a passion for the subject and the genre, it provides them an edge over other photographers. Jerome Brunet is a music photographer whose specialty is live performances. His photographs of legends like B.B. King, Carlos Santana, Slash, Aretha Franklin, and others have earned him a career and a reputation that easily distinguishes him among his peers. His love and his understanding of the music and the performers provide a special appreciation that helps inform his photography. So this is why I'm, for example, a huge fan of, of guitar players like Eric Cloud, B.B. King, that the, every solo is different. Even though it's the same song, they'll play that solo differently their entire life. So it's pure improvisation. I'm not saying that they haven't studied. I know most of them have you know, come from, but uh, so that's kind of, kind of the analogy that I, that I use for in my photography. Jerome is a photographer who works very simply with his preferred lens of choice often being a 50 millimeter lens. So it's not the equipment that defines him, but an in-depth understanding of the music and the nuance of performance. Uh, having studied uh, not only the music intensely, to, to know the song and know when the, the solo is going to kick in is, I think, is, is, is priceless <laughs> yeah. as a photographer because you can, you can preset where, you know, where you're going to be, what, you know, what's, uh, what's going to happen. And then, and then second of all, sure, take, for example, uh, Billy F. Gibbons, his use of his hands on the guitar. Now, there's a reason why Hendrix called him one of his favorite guitar players. If you look at how he uses the guitar, it's it's an, truly an extension of his body. And you could do a full workshop just on shooting his hands on the guitar. It's the most incredible thing. It's So it's knowing these things, um, I think, is important for sure, for whatever artist you're with. We'll talk to Jerome about his work and the challenges of putting together his first book. And he'll share about one of those special life moments that never would have happened had it not been for his photography. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for coming up. My pleasure, man. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, I'm glad I had a chance to meet you at LACP a couple of months ago. Correct. And uh, I got an introduction to your to your work, which really is just amazing, beautiful, much beautiful blushed. stuff. Much obliged. So I'm glad I'm going to have a chance to talk to you first. In reading about you, one of the things I learned was that um, your mom was a music teacher. Correct. So at the age of four, you started playing the cello. Right, right. Was that spurred by you just having an uh, attraction to music, or your mother said, you're going to learn this? Oh, yeah. That's, and it actually, it's probably, it goes even you know further than that. From, from, from as far back as I can remember, music was uh, uh, in, my, uh, in my DNA. Mom always had music, mostly classical music playing uh, at all times. There wasn't really uh, any, any TV on. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then at the, the ripe old age of four... Um, she got me on uh, on the cello, but at that time, when when you're teaching students that young, basically there's it's just like a block of wood with two sticks, and then you they give you one stick to hold, just like the the bow, and it's just to learn the positioning of a cello and uh, how you would you know, how you would almost fake play, and okay. then you go to the quarter size, half size as you progress. But uh, so yeah, music has been uh, in my in my blood uh, since as far back as I can remember. Uh, cello for well well over. 10 years and then in high school uh and then i heard you know i heard zeppelin and the blues and uh that's where i i <laughs> wanted to play the guitar and uh, very easily basically moved the cello down and you know started strumming and played the and been playing guitar ever since so yeah. what do you think that you learned and picked up from playing musical instruments starting so young in terms of a skill set that you feel like was has become invaluable to you as as a photographer for sure to be able to, uh, to read music in that in that way so it's, it's almost like you're you have a the sixth sense of what is about to happen through the music and i think that uh, visually you 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 can almost 
you know, pre-see something that's going to happen. You know that something's going to happen because you know you can hear it in wow. the music. You know, it's something that if you hadn't studied music and you don't know, for example, the twelve-bar blues. You know, when the when the, the rhythm kicks in and when the the solo kicks in, or you know, it's you you it's a premonition almost. You know? well, that's fascinating because yeah. I I know that that plays a part in sports, uh-huh. knowing the sports so well that you can anticipate. You know what the play is going to be, so you know in what direction to move the camera before the moment happens. Right, but this, right. that's the first time I ever heard someone talk about knowing music that well mm-hmm. to be able to anticipate. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's uh, I think it's been enormously helpful. Uh, that and then second of all, I think is almost as equal important is only having shot the musicians that I love. So you you already have this connection. You know their 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 music and intimately. And as you'll see in the, in, in the book, it's uh, there's a lot of guitar heroes and you know bb king eric clapton you know uh, santana so that's that's where that comes from you know one of the things the the answer i i I was i was thinking that you might go to is the need for discipline Mm -hmm. because when people look at these amazing musicians Mm -hmm. they think about having an innate talent Uh but i think that the more talented um, musicians are usually the hardest working ones as well Uh so i thought that in terms of the discipline required to become adept with a musical instrument is something that sort of applies to, to photography as well. I, I think in, in some ways, um, but I also believe, uh, if I can you know, make the analogy in, in music, like a blues musician that's improvising or a jazz musician that's improvising, you could study as much theory as you want. But to really create something magical, you have to just forget it, forget all that, and let your the unexpected. I think I've always been interested in you know photojournalism, and, and uh, that's where that's that's my base when it comes to photography. People, of course, like Gachi Blisson, anybody that's from the Magnum Agency, essentially. But where it's 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 magical. There's, you, you don't feel like it's been set up. It's it's just. I think that's the purest sense of, of photography. So this is why I'm, I'm, for example, a huge fan of, of guitar players like Eric Cloud, maybe King, that the, every solo is different. Even though it's the same song, they'll play that solo differently their entire life. So it's pure improvisation. I'm not saying that they haven't studied. I'm sure they've, you know, the, um, uh, I know most of them have, you know, come from, but uh, so that's kind of, kind of the analogy that I, that I use for in my photography. In your early work as a photojournalist, one of them involved a ride along that you mm-hmm, did. Right, and yeah. that you did a film. And that that was sort of the catalyst for you finding opportunities in the music industry, which seemed kind of antithetical. But tell me about how that happened. True, true. So um, as I mentioned, my my background is in photojournalism. And when I was still studying in in Paris, this is um, mid uh, mid 90s at a photography school called uh, IFETS. It's a four year uh, photography specific college. Uh, And at that time, I was absolutely enamored by the Magnum Agency, Uh, the early work from, you know, Gaccio Blesson, Robert Capa, etc. And the list is long. And one photographer in particular, Leonard Fried, an American photographer, yeah. um, that had shot this incredible documentary in New York, 7080s of the police, New York police force. And I was just absolutely enamored by this work. And I had the this little photography book called the Photo Bush. And there's it was I'm not sure if they have that here, but anyway. So I've always wanted to, I, at the time, always wanted to do something similar. And first thing I had done was in the uh, in the south of Paris. So this was with a vice squad. And I saw, you know, murders, autopsies, et cetera. But I wasn't allowed to show faces. So it made, it made mm-hmm. it really difficult, especially being the first time and diving into this very, very dark world. Um, so the second chance I had was towards the end of my uh, college, uh, 97, I believe. And I was in uh, Texas, and I ran into a canine unit in El Paso, Texas, that opened up this entire world of uh, police and, uh, and the underworld, essentially. So, and I literally took did a ride along for almost seven months with these with this uh, this super super nice cop. Anyways, he was kind enough to to allow me to to ride with him mostly at night, and I had just one camera, a Leica M6 with a 35 millimeter Summicron and a pocket full of Tri-X. <laughs> you know the. You you know the, the 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 there you go the the trio and I just blindly went in with no set ideas. I just whatever they would show me, I would shoot. So I ended up you know shooting the the jail downtown. I shot one of the largest heroin seizures, uh, black tar heroin seizures. Uh, what else? Uh, autopsies, murders. Uh, it was just incredible, and it was prior to to nine eleven. So there was a lot more access to, to the media than there is now. And I literally, I had asked the sheriff, dude, can I, 
can I do this and that? And he's like, do you do whatever you want? <laughs> so it was a wild experience. Was this all self initiated? Totally, completely self initiated. Um, so how'd you gain the access? Again, I had just looked on this one particular police officer that uh, canine unit that said, yeah, you could follow me whenever you want. Uh, now, mind you, they would make me sign re- uh, release forms where mm-hmm. basically it's like you get shot, blown up or whatever. <laughs> we're not responsible. And they gave me a bulletproof vest, which I almost never wore because I almost felt like it was more in danger if I wore it. There's just this weird, I felt like the camera alone was sufficient to uh, to, to stay behind the, the danger, which I was completely ignorant of, of course. Yeah. And someone Saw the film that you did, so it was all still, all still, uh, all still uh, photography, and I showed that to Zuma Press, which is a photo agency uh, here in California, and um, I just happened to get lucky where the 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 owner of the agency was at the desk when the images were coming in, and he immediately signed me on when he, when he saw the, the piece. So, wow, yeah, it was twenty seven pictures total. Uh, shot over a seven month period, yeah, and then from there. <laughs> Uh, once I had a press uh, press credentials, um, somehow music because I was in the Bay Area, and that's I think that's one of the main reasons that I started hitting the you know the Fillmore and the, the, all these incredible music locations, and I got completely hooked on on the music. So, the, the, and I never went back to shooting law enforcement uh, since then. But yeah, that was the 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 step into professional music photography, which is kind of arbitrary, but yeah. <laughs> when you sent your images into to Zuma, were you were you doing that with the intention of trying to see if you could get signed? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was I was shopping. I mean, I was fresh out of college, and I was shopping for a professional uh, outlet for for the for my images. So you felt like this was the strongest body of work that you had at the time. Yeah, or? that's yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was that was it. As before that, it was just student work. You know, um, that you hold dear, but it's, there's nothing like, you know, an in-depth thing that's completely out of your. (laughs) Yeah. And I think work like that, not necessarily shooting crime and the, the, you know, the behind the scenes of police activity, but I think anything that proves your ability to gain access Mm -hmm. is a value to a person who's going to be a photo editor or an art buyer. Because, you know, there are so many people out there with a camera that can make a decent picture, but there are very few people out there who can create the circumstances to be able Mm -hmm. to make the photographs. And I think that's a big part of music photography. Huge, huge part. uh, So even though you had the advantage of being with an agency early on, that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you automatically get access. Nope, nope, absolutely. So so tell me about those early struggles to to gain access to the performers that you wanted took uh, took years to be able to because you have to uh, it's not it's not sufficient to, to be in a photo agency and you have to then uh, you know you, you start building your network of uh, not only bands it's it's bands are actually usually the last thing you you get to, to, to meet in that thing the first ones are the promoters uh, you know it'd be live nation etc and then you 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 figure out who's handling PR at certain locations like the film or uh, you know uh, whatever venues and then you have uh, band management uh, so there's all these different layers uh, to get to that all access pass that is super rare that is rarely given to anyone where you have full access with a, with a musician and they just and, you know the musician just knows you personally and and allows you to shoot whatever you want <laughs> so but it's taken years as I said I've been at this for, for over 20 now yeah I, st- I still get denied every once in a while you know uh, even after that all this time but uh, you, you just gotta keep you know just shrug it off and keep going man because there's always a, a show a tour around the corner that's gonna be you know amazing as well so. can you point to one of the <laughs> early shows that you did that you felt were really pivotal for you in terms of both the work that you produced and how it may have resulted in other opportunities? Uh, well, the very the very first one, that's it's literally the very first shot in my book. I was still in college, I believe, and it was a blues festival in, in Paris, and the, the headliner was B.B. King. Now, I, at the time, did not have any press credentials or anything like that, um, and I figured that most likely my camera would, was going to be taken away, so I, I took this crappy little camera that, it was, it was a 35 mil and a roll of tracks inside, and went up to the front and uh, you know sat next to the press and shot away, and nobody said anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was really the first one that, that I, I had inside me, even though it was before the, the, the police project. 
it was my first real taste of of being in front of the front row shooting you know the, an absolute legend yeah. you know and just happened to be the very first show that i really shot boom i was already shooting bb you know <laughs> there's something to be in that proximity to someone i remember i got a chance to photograph hugh masekela when i was in college uh-huh. and literally i was like maybe 10 feet away from him mm-hmm. and i have this wonderful portrait of him you know playing and it's just i look at that picture and it's just being in that close to such a talent is really humbling and it's yep. just just amazing yep. Yep. Um, whether or not you're making a photograph or not but just mm-hmm. being able to look at it and feel like i captured part of what i felt mm-hmm. listening to him or anyone else well, play. So that's what you strive for obviously yeah. photography is to, to try to capture that the soul you know to one one thing that that in, in most cases uh, for press um credentials uh, photopath we're only allowed to shoot the first three songs mm-hmm. so Good luck capturing the soul of, of a musician in one image in three songs. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's quite it's quite a feat, but it's uh, it's 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 a great feeling when you do capture that. Well, uh, you, yeah. From the images that I've seen online and what I saw from browsing the book was that you're able you I think are able to do that uh, to a greater degree than I, uh, some other photographers that I see who photograph the same genre. And you talked more. about earlier about being able to sort of anticipate because you just know the music. Mm-hmm. You know, we're dealing with a visual medium, so we're not, we don't have the benefit of, of the sound. Right. We're, we're just looking. So along with you being able to sort of anticipate where the music is going to go, mm-hmm. what are you looking for that will help you to sort of translate what it feels like to be in that moment with yeah, that performer? That's a tough, a tough question. Um, you try to... Uh, you obviously you work with what you have. You, know, you, you have no, you, you you're not allowed to touch any lighting or any, you're not allowed to bring right. any lighting in. So you're, it's it's what you see is what you get, and it's really up to you as a photographer to 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 utilize the space that you're in. Um, um, I love shooting uh, like this. The name of the book it's called Into the Light. You know, term in French contre jour. You know where you where your your subject is in between. Uh, you know, high uh, light and source. Yeah, and then just you know work your composition, work uh, the lighting, but try to use, utilize those to give it feeling and soul, as if you can actually hear, you know, the Santana's Latin soul, you know, yeah. in a, in, a, in a visual way. I, it's very hard to describe. For me, when I look at the, the, some of the pictures that I really like of yours, is that you capture the moment, uh-huh. and I think that a lot of other photographers they're simply taking p- pictures, uh-huh. hoping that they get something good, uh-huh. which is hard for any type of photography sure. because the, the the moment is so fleeting, especially mm. at a, at a concert where you have someone who's either drummer, or a guitar player, constantly or whatever, moving, or yep. singer. They're constantly moving, and there's just a moment where there's just an explosion of expression. And I really like the images where the where the person is so immersed like you have that picture of Santana in there where mm. his eyes are closed and yep. he's kind of like leaning forward yeah, yeah. and you just go oh yeah he's like yeah. he's in the moment and you sort of piggyback on that by capturing the moment but it's like if you don't have an eye for that I think that the tendency is to just to ride the motor drive mm-hmm. it, yeah and and you know I get a lot of students that, that that show me pictures and you know sometimes they they get access to to, to festivals and big names and yep there's you know there's this famous person and they're in the middle of the frame and it's in focus but you just don't feel the music you know it's, it's just you yeah. it's just they're in the image i think it, it, uh, it also comes from my, my background in in uh, again in music but also studying everything from you know sculpture and painting and 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 really understanding composition and uh, the use of space you know in a, in a still image so i'm always striving to to, to capture anyway. yeah. Yeah. and i think for 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 that kind of photography you really have to be in the moment and you can't be fixated with what you're doing with your camera. No. Because if you're fixated with what's happening with the camera, with the lens choice, with the exposure, mm. you know, with nailing the focus, you are not paying attention to what's playing out in front of you. <laughs> right, right. So it makes yeah. being able to capture a significant moment in those within those three songs mm-hmm. difficult if not impossible to do. Yeah. yeah. So t- tell me, you, you work pretty simply. You're not working with a whole arsenal of different gears. Well, that, does that play a part in, in, in you being able to capture the images? For me, less has always been more. Um, and that's, you know, from, from my, the back of the days when I was studying with, uh, you know, studying all the, the, the Leica, ma- or, yeah, the Magnum, <laughs> Magnum masters, all using the, the, the Leica M, you know, camera. And for me, that was the, the absolute uh, Rolls Royce and 
the minimalist camera, yeah. one lens, one body, a fully manual. There's a certain joy. Now, don't get me wrong. I've shot off, you know, every type of camera from point and shoots to large format and, um, you know, the, 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 the flagships of, of the, the Japanese cameras, et cetera, which shoot a million frames a second. For the most part, I've always shot uh, in manual mode and but to, you wouldn't, wouldn't know whichever camera you're using that if it's like second second nature is, is very important. Of course, when you're in the pit and you only have three songs, as you say, you can't be fiddling about looking at your yeah. <laughs> you know, all the all the buttons or whatever. You have to be instinctively know what you're doing, just like a like a race car driver. You know, he's, he's concentrating on the road and not to. Whatever. So, what's the focal length that you favor when you're shooting? Uh, fifty. If if I can only have one, it'd be a fifty. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. 50 so, sure. yeah, with a fifty, that's a fairly narrow field of view relative yeah. to a thirty-five or a twenty-eight, yeah. and so it's a fairly tight frame. So, uh-huh. you really have to be on on top of it. Yeah. But you're dealing with subjects that are not sitting still; that they're moving sure. around. I mean, some of them may be at a mic. Or standing fairly fixed, yep. close to the stage, yep. but still, yep. uh, you're jockeying with I don't know how many other photographers yeah, in the pit. So anyway, ten to twenty photographers. Yeah. So you have to be fairly aggressive in terms of finding your position, or are you just locked into a position and you have to take what you get. I'm constantly moving. If if I have if I'm if I've I'm allowed to move around, I'll move around. I'll always try to get as close as I can. I just feel that you can just capture so much more energy. The closer you are, I tr- I tend to move like a like a like a dancer. I'll I'll sort of float around, following the musician, and concentrating also uh, on the background that's that's behind the musician. But it's an out of body experience. I mean, I never I'm usually completely exhausted, drenched in sweat. <laughs> but I I can never f- physically remember. You know, it's it's really almost like an, you're floating in the in the photo pit because you're concentrating 150 percent on on the on the visuals. Yeah. The point you made about the background, because when I was doing a lot of stuff, mostly jazz and blues concerts, mostly at public events, one of the things I was always conscious of in trying to trying to make a good frame was everything that was in the background. Because mm-hmm. I was shooting up, mm-hmm. so he had all the rigging, the lights, yep. all that stuff. And for me, part of my effort to try and make a good photograph... Capturing the moment was essential, mm-hmm. but also I had to be aware of all that stuff that's in yep. the, that's in the background that can really sort of weaken weaken mm-hmm. a shot. So mm-hmm. you, you talk about how how you're aware of that when you're moving around, but can you talk a little more about the importance of being aware of things other than the performer? Yeah. Again, if if I go back to the three song rule, I'll usually shoot uh, you know as as wide as possible with a the, the fairly large depth of field, so you can really get a, a, a gist of the stage and the lighting. And then as the you know second song, then I'll start bringing in the the focal length and and closing the aperture. So it's you're separating the, the musician regardless of what's uh, in front or behind him. Um, I'm, I'm kind of known for for shooting a lot of it's like live portraiture almost. Uh, you know the, the musicians, and those are all shot almost wide open, you know, depending on which lens. But from uh, usually two eight to, to f one four on, on, on the Summerlux, so it's really really close. Man, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, <laughs> oh my god. Because yeah. I've, I've, I'm I'm not shot with Leica regularly, and uh, I always enjoy shooting with those cameras. But when you start shooting wide open. Like that, especially yeah. at a fifty, yeah. the depth of field is so so slim. So sure. you must end up, you know, getting a lot of shots that are almost. Yeah, well, it's it's at, at obviously at one four. You want to be able to be able to stabilize your elbows, like on the on the on the stage. If if you're lucky enough to have a stage that's just you know that's uh, that's um, low enough, uh, or or you're you know be against the stage and try to block yourself. And if you don't have that, then you then you sometimes have to kind of wing it and bring up the the, the f stop to f four and then shoot above your head. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you, you say a lot that you you like to shoot or you prefer to shoot uh, musicians who you love. Oh, yes. So to me, that tells me that you know a lot in terms of how they perform when they're on stage. Mm-hmm. So does that give you an advantage then? Because you're basically just like a person who knows sports knows. You know the the stands and of a pitcher mm-hmm. and the body language. Sure. So does that help you as well? One hundred percent. I think it's yeah. Uh, having studied not only the music intensely, intensely, again to to know the song and know when the the solo is going to kick in is I think is 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 priceless. <laughs> yeah. As a photographer, because you can you can 
preset where you know where you're going to be what you know what's uh, what's going to happen and then and then second of all sure um take for example uh, billy f gibbons uh his use of his hands on the guitar now there's a reason why clap uh, not clap but hendrix called him one of his favorite guitar players if you look at his uh, uh, how he uses the guitar, it's it's truly an extension of his body, and you could do a full workshop just on shooting his hands on the guitar. Just it's the most incredible thing. It's so it's knowing these things. Uh, I think is important for sure for for whatever artist you're with. Yeah, because then, especially in a live performance, mm-hmm. it's what they're doing with their body in combination with the instrument, sure. which is like. The, the thing that you don't get when you're just listening to them with cans or in your right. in your car right, is right. how this person sort of lives out their, their music. Yeah. Uh, and there I was watching a, a singer today. I forget. I draw a blank on the name. But man, she was a blues singer. Uh-huh. She was just like, it was all there. Uh-huh. It was all there. And it was just beautiful, not only listening to her voice, but just seeing how she was investing herself in, sure. in it. And uh-huh. it was just mesmerizing to watch even on a computer screen. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what it's like to, to see it and feel it when it's performed. When you know somebody is not just, you know, is not just there for a paycheck, but is doing it because it just, they can't help but do it. Yeah. And there's, and there's nothing like it, like experiencing it live. You know, when you actually have the, the bass cabs, man, just going through your body. You know, it's just not, you can't experience that. Even if you got a good <laughs> stereo and TV to be there live is, you know, um, I just love being there. That's, that's like I, my favorite spot. Uh, I've, I've actually, I remember telling, uh, uh, one of the members of the Tedeschi Trucks band, that my absolute favorite spot in the world is actually in the rear of the band between the two drummers. Mm-hmm. Just the most incredible thing. Mean, the sonically, <laughs> uh, visually, just, oh my God. I've only had the, the honor of doing that a couple times, but man, I, I'm just gleaming when I... <laughs> so what do you protect your ears with? In like- well, I've, funny enough, I uh, hadn't used very much over the years. And it's only... Only since uh, I don't know, maybe the last five or five or six years that I started using just regular earplugs. I did get my ears checked uh, recently, and somehow I got a I got a clean bill of health. Incredibly enough, because I remember a few times, for example, uh, Motorhead. Um, uh, <laughs> boom! So I had the photo pass front row, uh, photo pits, and boom, literally the first note out of his bass. Wow. It was a wall of sound from his Marshalls, and I immediately had to. Run out and get some uh, earplugs. Could have sworn my ears were bleeding. <laughs> so, yeah. I remember the first time I went to a whiskey was with my brother, who was uh, really big into heavy metal. Yeah. So much so that he painted his wall uh, with the Judas Priest album "Screaming for Vengeance." Okay, there you go. And he had a drum set in the back, which in, <laughs> and I hated it back then, but now I have a taste for Judas Priest. Okay. So I a little so, Priest fan over here. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoy I enjoy them. I remember when I first went to a to that location, I was completely unprepared. Uh-huh. And when that sound hit me, oh, you yeah. really feel it. Oh, yeah. And that ringing in my ears is just like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. wow. And that's only a club. So if, imagine yeah. the, the, the being front row at uh, huge festivals. Uh, one that comes to mind was uh, a bottle rock festival up in Napa. Uh, Black Keys were the headliner. And I f- had forgotten to put my, my earplugs in. And the whole photo pit the whole wall the photo pit were actually base cabs and i've man i could literally thought every bone was shaking in my body and luckily the, the neighbor had some spare earplugs but brutal <laughs> brutal yeah do you want to be the voice that introduces the show at the beginning of the episode Send us an audio clip that you can record on your phone or tablet or computer. Simply say your name, where you're from, and welcome to the Candid Frame. Say it at least twice and give us a few seconds of silence so that we can clean up the audio. Once done, email it to info at thecandidframe.com and make sure to include a link to your website or Instagram feed. Help The Candid Frame to continue bringing you great conversations with some of the world's best photographers. You can do this by supporting our Patreon effort by committing as little as $5 or more a month. When you do this, you not only help us to meet the cost of production, 
but provide us the time and resources we need to bring you conversations you won't hear anywhere else. Sign up today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Thank you. What are festivals like to photograph as opposed to, you know, a concert venue, like say at the Nokia Center or wherever someone is performing? Is how different, difficult is it? Um, I, I love shooting festivals. Uh, one that I miss dearly was the uh, Santa Cruz Blues Festival. I was the uh, official photographer for over seven years, and uh, when you when you're actually the official photographer for that amount of time, you it's like a big family, and it, you 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 know once a year you, you get come together and you're you know you're out in the out in the stars. I prefer it personally over, you know, an int- intimate club location. Uh, and it, it's everything's a little wider. Everything's larger. You got more room to, 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 to go around. Uh, it's a little more festive. I, I, I don't know, I guess, in a way. Festival. <laughs> Maybe that's why they call it a festival. No. Um, yeah, it's, it's different in that, in that aspect. You know, it's, you, you're there for, you know, a minimum two, three days. As opposed to sometimes just two, three songs, you know, in a in a, in a regular one show, one band. But a show. lot more demanding too, because you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it's uh, you know, um, it has pros and cons. Yeah, I mean, I I, I I love shooting both, but festivals are are a lot of fun as well. Yeah, yeah. The name of your book is Into the Light, and you talked about earlier about that is something that you you're known for, and that's one of the more challenging aspects of shooting live performances, especially when it's not done in the daytime, when you're dealing largely with artificial lights, because a lot of today's shows, the light, Mm. there are light cues and things are changing and they have lasers and all this other stuff. Smoking. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, having to wrestle with that stuff in terms of being able to nail your exposure and all that other stuff, how do you... Yeah, it's just yeah, you know, it's it's trial and error. You right off the bat, you know, roughly with the ISO, you want to start with uh, the speeds, uh, f stop, and then usually I, I usually stick fairly regular to the same stop, f stop, and 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 change the speeds. But yeah, usually the first thing I lock down is the ISO. Figure out which type of lighting. You know, most concerts you're about 3,200. And if you're in a smaller club, you start boosting 64, 10,000. So that's usually where you're at. And then speed, uh, you know, it's 125 and up. I try not to go any lower than that. And, uh, and then, yeah, then, uh, uh, F stop usually, you know, two, eight, four, sometimes, um, usually don't go any fr- uh, further than that. Okay. Yeah. So in, in terms of you making a living from your photography, you're working with an agency, so they're licensing the images. Correct. So is it largely editorial? Is it for like books? How does, how does that whole part of the livelihood of being a yeah. Photographer, yeah. So I've, so I've been with I've been with Zuma since '06, and through them I've been published internationally and in all the all the big you know Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, all the music mags, uh, guitar mags. Uh, I also shoot you know uh, this last few actually since really since the book I've been really uh, I'm, I'm putting my emphasis on getting into galleries and fine art prints. So that's really been my my main focus. But over the last before that in the last twenty years it's been mainly editorial work. So in terms of where the images end up, because editorial work, like in magazines, for example, um, they don't pay very much in terms of the usage. So in terms of you being able to make a living, how does that sort of work out? You're doing work outside of just shooting the concerts. I know you do some nonprofit work. Absolutely. Can you tell me about the the variety of different things that you have to do in order to be a... Viable photographer. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't be afraid to to, to shoot corporate work. You know, and there, there's so many different things that you can utilize your photography for. Uh, uh, shooting with with nonprofits, uh, you know, uh, is, is is another another option. Um, had the had the pleasure of working with uh, with uh, quite a few uh, throughout throughout the years. Yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing. You, you don't you don't want to get into this, especially in music photography, if you're thinking you know to get getting rich, striking rich. It's yeah. pure passion uh, driven. I've just been very lucky. 
very, very lucky. But I think it also you have to be enormously driven to 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 continue because there's you spend the first man. I mean, as I said, I still get denied. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's you know you you learn to 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 take uh, all these no's and turn them into yeses. You know? Yeah, you just consistency, working on your artwork, and um, you know, and uh, and luck is 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 nice to have as well. It's always fascinating to to see where your images end up, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a billboard or an album cover yeah. or something like that. It'd be very exciting. Yeah. But your image of B.B. King has ended up being tattooed on the, on the bodies of a variety of people. I was Around looking at world, Instagram. Yeah. What, what? I mean, talk yeah. about everyone wants when to have an iconic image. Yeah. Right. And that seems to be one mm. one the one for you. But mm. to see that translated onto someone's it's, flesh, it's that's surreal. It's it's, uh, you know, it's probably one of the most humbling things I've uh, I've seen that the the image uh, people have it, it resonates with people around the world to the extent where they're willing to, to slap it on their flesh for for life. You know, it's 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 a, it's an honor and it's uh, humbling and never thought I'd see that. You know, <laughs> never thought I'd see it. So uh, yeah, and every once in a while somebody will, will shoot me. Oh, here, here's one in uh, Portugal, and uh, here's one. You know, whatever. Better than the next girlfriend's name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There you go. Did you know that that was as special an image as it's ended up being when you, when you took it? Or when I, you... Uh, so not when, not a lot of people know that's actually a horizontal shot. And uh, I do all my editing on a fairly large screen. And every once in a while, just out of um, being used to doing it, I'll very quickly sort of do a crop, close one eye and do a, do a vertical crop. It, it just takes a second. But you immediately know if it's more powerful or not by, mm-hmm. by doing that. And I, and I, did that with that one immediately cropped it uh, vertical and it just everything just went into into, into place uh and uh yeah it would sort of applied a um, sort of a black and white with a with a bit of red uh, filter to it and there it was i mean i i you know, certainly wasn't thinking oh this is for sure tattoos everywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i thought no this this is a decent cover shot you know yeah well it's interesting you know just just making that choice to just try it mm-hmm. vertically all oh, of a sudden yeah. the image that you've been looking at that you've been familiar with oh, changes all of a sudden it just becomes something completely oh, different yeah 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 I, I i have no qualms with with the uh, with cropping if it enhances the image you know uh it's it's always a real pleasure when you just nail it <laughs> right in camera yeah but hey man if you can if you can if make the image stronger by cropping i think i'm all for it yeah Tell me about, because, you know, we're talking a lot about photography and about making the photographs, but so much about being a professional photographer is all the other stuff that you have to do. So tell me about one of the things that you really disliked doing, but that you had to learn to do in order to be able to do that. I mean, the the editing, I mean, I, let's say after a three-day festival, you know, I'm looking at whatever, man, 20... 20,000 images. Oh my God. You know, uh, yeah, easy. And uh, I've shot half a million over the last 20. Uh, and that's the book is a literally a full edit uh, down to, I think, 150 images from a half a million. Now, of course, I've been editing over the last 20 yeah. years, you know, but it's, it's you know, the, the sleepless nights editing, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands. And each frame is, you know, just ever so slightly different uh usually what i do is i do a full edit of okay are, is there any pictures of my feet uh you know it's like some guy picking his nose so that's the first edit um and then the second edit is super tight to 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 only choosing you know the the pearls uh but it's it's hours days of editing you know especially after a festival so but what's the what's the turnaround that you have to do because you're doing a festival and mm-hmm. you're trying to get this stuff published in editorials so in terms of you being able you know you were talking about one thing in terms of editing images for the purpose of a book which mm-hmm. is sort of a long sure. sort Six of gestation months, period right but <laughs> yeah. when you're working for an agency yeah. it's like get those pictures out as soon as you can yeah. so how does that work yeah um you know, shooting music. Uh, well, for festivals, a lot of, sometimes they have uh, photo editors on site, so oh, you can just okay. give them the card, and that's that's always nice. But I've always been pretty uh, adamant of doing everything myself to to, to giving uh, what I consider the the best work that I can do. Uh, and uh, over the years, people have been very you know allowing me to do that, uh, not expecting the images within the hour. I've never worked that way. Um, okay. I mean, even though the the agency I'm with is technically a wire agency, um, 
yeah, they're not they're not expecting drums <laughs> photography within the hour. Uh, even though that's knowing that I you know could could have you know gotten published quicker or, or more, mm-hmm. um, that's never been the essence for me. I mean, for me, it's about getting the right image out, not just any something that's in focus. That's I have no interest in that whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Most of the pictures that we've been talking about are stuff that you shoot in the pit. And you mentioned earlier that you on occasion have gotten the chance to get full access. Yes. So what is what does that mean and what kind of photographs did that allow you to make that you otherwise couldn't? Yeah, so that's uh, a lot of the festivals. Uh, there's one coming up uh, outside Lance Festival in San Francisco and they gave me basically full access to Rome on the stages and that's that's a whole different different ball game to be able to shoot side stage, sometimes behind the band, backstage for portraiture, stuff that you you, you don't see at all in the first three songs in the pit mm-hmm. and then they usher you up. So that's it's that's uh that's an incredible thing to, to be able to, to document is that aspect. Because you see the whole, you know, the, the the people setting up the stage. You get to, you know, you, you get to mingle with the musicians and and shoot portraits of them. It's uh, yeah, it's a great feeling. It's again, it's a lot more rare to, to have. But uh, you know, when you have musicians like I have, uh, like uh, Steve Miller who wrote uh, the the foreword to my book. Basically, he just gives you full access because he trusts you as a, as a photographer, as, a, as as an artist, and gives you carte blanche to, to shoot whatever you'd like. Yeah, and the way you met him was in the pit. I I met him at the Santa Cruz Blues Festival. Uh, he was shooting uh, with a uh, like a I think it was SL. Uh, it's like a fifty thousand dollar camera. Uh, on the side, and that was the first time I'd ever seen a musician shooting prior to, to his set. So I introduced myself real quick, uh, and we immediately started talking gear talk. And <laughs> totally became uh, you know friends right off the bat. And uh, he said, "Drum, you, you can you can shoot the whole set. Uh, you're really the uh, only one allowed to shoot." Um, and we we kept in contact when I originally created the book. And of course, uh, I chose BB on, on the cover, but I had also written uh, a foreword by, and I was like, who's the, the biggest rock star I know? And of course, it was Steve Miller. So I wrote, and you know, uh, uh, foreword by Steve Miller, thinking that it was, it was never going to happen. Yeah. And then sure enough, after, you know, uh, you know, I was like, I, I emailed him, and sure enough, he emailed me back saying, no problem, I'll, uh, I'll do the, uh, do the, the, the foreword. So that's that. Yeah. And we've been, we've been friends that friends ever since. So let's, let's talk about the creation of the book, because I think every photographer dreams of putting together a book. Right. The, the publishing industry has changed a lot in my lifetime alone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it's not as easy a thing to do as people would like to think it, it was, if it, were ever, if it ever was easy. Right. But you decided to self-publish this. So tell me about sort of the idea of why I put together a book mm-hmm. and how you came to use Kickstarter as the means by which to fund the, the printing of it. Right. Um, so I, I, I came to a point where I thought I was, you know, 20 years in, I thought I had a decent collection of work that pretty much spanned the three main genres that, I'm, that I've been passionate about, which is the blues, rock, and soul um, music. I started brainstorming. I had a few friends that had already done Kickstarters uh, for uh, photography books and, and other projects. So I started uh, questioning them and how, you know, what what it what it takes to, to do it. It's it's a it's a huge huge undertaking. Much bigger than I even thought it would be. Not only the work, but also how much it costs. Mm-hmm. It's if they had told me, you know, if I had known, I don't know if I would have done it again. Of course, I would have done it again. But it's it's just incredible amount of work. Anyway, so yeah, I, was, I thought, okay, well, there's the only way I can I can actually afford to do this is by going via Kickstarter. Um, and there's also the uh, what's the other go yeah Indiegogo, Indiegogo I yeah. but I, I felt that uh, the Kickstarter was the best way to go because it's all or nothing. It was a great way to you know to see for myself. Was my work good enough to be produced in, in in a book? And I think by doing that, you really drop your pants and go, "All right, is, <laughs> here it is, man." <laughs> so yeah, I did a, a full month and uh, managed to raise right right up to the last minute thirty thousand uh, to, to to do the 
to do the book. It's just so humbling. Like you, you know, people from around the world that you've never heard of that that are supporting something that doesn't even exist yet. Yeah, nothing was created. It was just you know, it was just the idea. Uh, and then I spent a full year creating the book, and I did everything. I did the the the, the layout, the editing. Everything, the choice of uh, the, the, the the cover material. The, the, uh, so, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> well, the, yeah. the big thing about having a successful Kickstarter is getting the word out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that becomes a job unto itself because you have to be out there, yeah. you know. Every day. And, yeah. and not being shy about asking over and over and over and over yeah. again, hey, you've been thinking about it. Yeah. Let's do this. Press the button. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I can yeah. imagine, you know, you're at moments you're afraid that you're going to be losing friends over this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but point. you know, in terms of just that part of it, because mm. just putting something up on the internet and saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm taking money for this," yeah. doesn't doesn't do anything. No, so, no, no. talk to me about you know, we're using newsletters, phone calls, exactly. Yeah, what were all the different things I, I you did used it all. I did it all. I mean, and as I said, I had a few friends that <clears throat> that had um, uh, done some Kickstarters, so I already had a general idea. I had, you know, work on a really decent video. That's one of the main things you want at okay. your Kickstarters. That is that kick ass one minute thirty second video that explains it all. So I got very lucky to to, to get that done correctly. And then, uh, yeah, so everything from email blasts, uh, phone calls, uh, personal emails to, you know, to, you know, certain uh, selection, anything I could think of. Because yeah. <laughs> you're right. It's it's uh, it's a constant, uh, you know, um, promotion of your of your non-existent book. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, really intimidating. And, I, and as I said, mine was all the way till maybe 48 hours, 24 hours before I still wasn't at the market. And it's it's brutal, man. Um, looks like it worked out. <laughs> it was the $30,000 goal the right amount to ask for? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, I've spent, I've spent a, yeah, uh, well, without going into numbers, it's yeah, it's 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 uh, it's you have to you have to have some backup as as well. I yeah. mean, you could, obviously, I I chose to print what was it twenty two hundred copies, and now they're in there as you've seen. Uh, it's a, it's a very luxurious uh, coffee table book, and it's about as best as you know the money can buy. Um, but it adds up, definitely adds up. Yeah. Because after that, then you still have to market the book and, you know. And all uh, the shipping. and Shipping, absolutely, yes. Well, luckily the shipping is in, in the price of the, the thing, but still, I do all the shipping myself. Yeah. So the time constraints that it, that it represents. Um, My wife sells uh, accessories, women's okay. accessories. Okay. I'm the shipping and receiving <laughs> department. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so These I earrings don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get to appreciate that. But because the book because when I looked at it when, when we first met I was looking at, at the quality of the paper and mm. the, the binding and everything it was just like really exquisite yeah, so yeah. trying to figure out okay how much am I going to spend on the printing where am I going to get it printed because mm. you know there's a lot of on demand printing services that are available but mm. when you're trying to get quality work yep. uh, it's a completely different beast mm-hmm. so tell me about the research involved in finding where you were going to get it? Uh, yeah, so I, I got it through. I got it printed uh, through a publisher called um, Inside Editions, who uh, who specialize in sort of high end luxury books, uh, and they also have a some very. They've done books with uh, Jim Marshall, legendary uh, rock photographer, um, and, and numerous other photographers. So I, and and they were just north of. They're in the Bay Area, so like north of San Francisco. And so I went and personally met up with them and asked them what, you know, um, they just basically gave me a number. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I knew the quality was, was going to be sufficient. Uh, but uh, basically, yeah, they just said, just send us the file when it's ready. Yeah. Uh, so I had zero help on that end. Uh, but it was, as I said, I, I, I'm actually really happy that I had 100% control of, of the product, you know. It really represent, represents me 100%. Yeah, and a big part of that, it, it becomes a, an important calling card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's one hell of a business card, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's yeah. having a published book, yeah. whether it's you know self-published or published through an, a, a publisher, having that and being That's able great. to say that yeah. does open doors. Oh, so yeah. th- you said earlier that you are trying to enter the fine art print world. Mm-hmm. So is the book being used as the means of being able to gain access to those people? Absolutely. Um, I'm on the sixth or seventh gallery now around the world, uh, from, okay. from Japan to uh, to Paris, uh, 
it's it's been incredible, an incredible calling card to to be able to just send the book to as an introduction. Yeah, you know, it's just it's it's so much better than sending a a thumbnail on in an email. You know, going this is what I do <laughs> to physically hold uh, you know your uh, your your full portfolio, and I think is uh, so. Yeah, I've been very lucky on that on that aspect. Yeah, you know, there are a bunch of. Um Rock photographers, Jim Marshall's just one of them yeah. you mentioned who's probably like the, the gold standard yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in yeah. terms of, yeah. of that kind of uh, work. But there's a yeah. lot of other people who are around who are making their uh, a good part of their income from the selling of the prints. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of those guys going back all the way to the 50s sure. and 60s. Sure. So in terms of you defining your niche in that in that market, what do you feel makes you sort of a distinctive sort of what distinguishes you amongst all those uh, photographers who many of whom may be photographing the very same people that you, you mm-hmm. photograph. Um, well, I, I think it's just like any art. I mean, everybody has their signature style. Uh, being in music, a lot ninety percent of the time, people are buying the piece because they're fans of James Brown or you know mm-hmm. uh, or Slash or whatnot. But I've you know I've I've had people tell me like I've uh, one of them was. Uh, he, um, had worked with uh, Greg Allman for almost his entire career, and he said, "Jerome, you have probably my favorite Greg Allman shot I've ever seen." And I, wow. this, this was shot maybe a year before he passed. You know, so I, I've just been enormously lucky on that aspect, and uh, I think and I hope people, um, you know, capture uh, see myself from you know the, how I capture the soul of the musician. Uh, strong enough for them to to warrant to buy a print and put it in their on their living room. So it's it's hard to describe why they would pick mine over another. Yeah. It, it, you know, uh, even though even though like most of my work is from the the masters from you know, the rock guys from you know from Zeppelin, Floyd, Rolling Stone, but I've captured them circa two thousand and and up. Right. But but I, I guess it's just you know again. Um, some the people enjoying my style of work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And what's essential to all this is you attaining your copyright to your mm-hmm. images. And yes. one of the things that's been happening with uh, photographers photographing live performances are the rights grabs that, right. the, uh, you know, the, the performer or the venue and all that stuff are saying, you know, not only can you not uh, get anything published unless you get our permission, but right. we actually have the copyright to anything. <laughs> that you've if you just sign your name here. Yeah. So how has that sort of impacted you, if at all? Um, so it's uh, I've been very lucky to not have in the past 20 years. It was uh, certainly 10 years past. Uh, it was a lot less prevalent than it is now. So uh, I think I only removed maybe through th- four or five uh, musicians that I wanted to put in the book, but I did sign a release form. So I figured to be on the safe side, uh, keep them out, and just publish the ones that uh, where I own the copyright uh, completely. Now, mind you, these you know these are limited editions, uh, limited edition book, and so I'm, I'm not selling T-shirts of my yeah. work and or coffee mugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the 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 prints are all assigned and numbered. You know, um, limited edition pieces. So, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, the more and more you're seeing, um, like I, for, I just shot uh, Paul McCartney, for example, and sure enough, it's a full rights grab. Uh, it was a client that asked me to shoot, so I shot it. But for the most part, I. I, I don't uh, don't shoot those unless you know a magazine or you know a client is asking for it specifically. So for that full rights grab, so mm-hmm. you explain that. So you've signed yeah. a form in order to be the access, and mm-hmm. they retain the rights to the image, but you're shooting it for an agency. So uh, not necessarily. No, usually the, are you shooting for the magazine? Those would be a, yeah, magazines. It it, it usually uh, stipulates you're allowed to only use it once in a magazine for, for a certain time period. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and then sometimes it's it's it's. Even worse than that, it's just be, again you could you're you're with uh, again a magazine. If uh, for, uh, most most of the times, the magazines now they're not even allowing uh, uh, wire agencies in, which is even harder to get in. But um, uh, some some uh, of these white grabs have all right. So you're allowed to use the shot once in this thing for for X amount of time, and we own your shots. Okay, we can use them uh, for, uh, you know forever. For anything, for anything we'd like, and those are you know brutal to, to see because it's it's almost like what's the point of being there, man? But a lot of people sign those, yeah, things just yeah. to have access. To yeah, it. yeah, and that's and that's unfortunate because you have all these kids that are you know they're just starting off and they'll sign anything, you know, mm-hmm. just to be to to say that they were they were there in the in the pit and then to show on their 
Instagram a picture of whatever, whatever yeah. rapper or whatever. So, yeah, it's an unfortunate. Uh, yeah. You've gotten to know a lot of performers. Mm-hmm. You, know, you mentioned Steve Miller yeah. earlier. And so you've had a chance to not, not only photograph these people, but spend time with them. Yes. Give me a, a story that you, your best pinch me moment <laughs> when you weren't photographing. Mm-hmm. You were just maybe just hanging out and then you just kind of realized where you were and who you were with and you were just like wow yeah well very very recently um i was invited uh, to dinner at, uh, at at steve's place with his with uh, with, with his wife and we have this lovely dinner just walking into you know rock god yeah. <laughs> alone is 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 uh, is you know pinch me moment um we finish our lovely meal and then steve goes uh, let's go upstairs and jam Let's go smoke a cigar and jam. <laughs> oh, wow. So there I was, across from it on the couch. He pans over an acoustic guitar. And there I was. I mean, I would, obviously, I'm trying to play f- fairly well because, <laughs> you know, I'm trying, and we're just doing like 12 bar blues, you yeah. know, nothing, nothing fancy. But I'm really concentrating on making sure that I'm actually holding <laughs> the rhythm down. But every once in a while, I would look up and there's like, fuck, there is Steve Miller, man, like wow. right in front of me. And excuse my French. Uh, but yeah, that's that was a recent uh, pinch me moment for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. this show has provided me uh, several <laughs> of those moments. And it's just like, I just step out of my body and yeah. just go, oh my God, yeah. who am I oh, sitting with here? So incredible. That's very cool. Incredible. All right. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is okay. I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or wow. someone you've recently discovered. Huh. Wow. Um, well, one book that I've always considered... Now I always bring out Gautier Blaison. I um, I was literally at the, the Leica Gallery yesterday, where my book is for sale in in, in, in Los Angeles, next to his book mm-hmm. Last on Decisive Moment. Um, but I was also going to say my 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 first real what I thought was the end all be all was uh, Sebastián Salgado's Workers yeah. book. That for me is the Bible, man. When it comes to to photography at its purest uh it's in, it's very obviously a lot of social very difficult images to to look at but man if you want to study photography just, man spend a a weekend just in that book right there that's called workers uh i saw the the original show back in uh, i think it was 90 something yeah, yeah early 90s i saw it in paris the Paris tokyo and i was absolutely blown away not only the visual, but the, the quality of the images, like some of the images they had shot in, in the desert and looks like the oils literally dripping off the print. I was just enamored. And at, at the time I was like, this is all I want to do. You know, I want to, I want to like out with tracks and do social work. Wow. You know, that's what, uh, that was the, the first ignition for me. I, yeah. I met him uh, during the exhibit in San Francisco. Nice. So he was, he was there and okay. he was like, wow. Yeah. And yeah. to see those prints, uh, like you said, it is a jaw-dropping experience. Uh, yeah. And I finally got around to watching the documentary. Oh, nice. That oh, it's the new one, yeah. It's uh, yeah. yeah, which is yeah. great. So people listening have not caught that documentary. It's very worth watching. It's called Salt and Air, maybe something like that. Yeah, right. something like Salt was definitely in the title. Okay. I'll put it in the show notes uh, once I find it. Yeah. But, uh, Jerome, thank you thank so much. Thank you man. so much, man. The honor's all mine. Thanks to Jerome for sharing his time and story with us. You can find out more about him and his work by visiting JeromeBrunet.com. There you can buy a signed copy of his book, as well as prints of your favorite performers. And I'm going to be in Vancouver this coming weekend with fellow street photographer Olaf Staba. If you want to join us, it's not too late. Sign up and find out more details by visiting Visual Poet Experience. To hear and see me talk about my personal photographic process, visit the TCF YouTube channel, where I offer comments on photography submitted by TCF listeners who contribute to the Candid Frame Flickr poll. Check out the TCF Flickr poll and our YouTube channel by clicking on the link in the show notes and the website. My latest book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is available. Purchase it today and receive 40% off the list price when you order it from the Rocky Nook website. Use the promo code PORELLO40 at checkout to take advantage of the discount. And receive three free copies of my previously published ebooks, 
by signing up for the Candid Frame mailing list, where I share thoughts about life, photography, and keep you updated on TCF events. And if you enjoy the show, help spread the word by writing a review wherever you find and listen to podcasts. And if you write a review on a blog post, let me know and send me a link because I would really like to thank you on air. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon, or you can make a one-time contribution via PayPal. You'll find the links for both in the show notes and the website. Thanks to Kevin Just and Espen Zekrizen for their recent contributions. And if you want to easily access every episode of The Candid Frame, download The Candid Frame app. It's available for both Apple iOS and Android, and it's free. And if you scroll down on the app, you'll find a free excerpt of my book that you can download. And we also have an Alexa app, so if you have one of those smart devices, download the skill and listen to the show that way. The Candor Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.